right, we ready to kick this off, Mike? Yes, sir. All right. Mike Massey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, Spencer. Thanks for getting my name right, man. I'm a real diva about that accent. Uh, well, I know. The first time we met, I sat down. I was like, is it is it Massey? Or you're like, no, it's Massey. <laughs> <laughs> and get it right. So how does that, is that what is that, an apostrophe or the tilt? What do they call that I thing? think they called an accent a goo. I'm not really, accent a, a, I'm goo. Not really a diva about it, but it is Massey. Yes. All right. Well, so what is that? What's the, uh, you know, the origin of that? It, it's, it's it's French. It is French. Okay, so Massey, we right? We 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 So Mike Massey, very good to see you, man, and um, great to see you again. I feel like we just sat down for coffee, what like three or four weeks ago, probably right? Right about then, yeah. Yeah, I think it was it was interesting, right? I think of all the folks that I've had on uh, the the podcast so far, you and I have probably been acquainted the least amount of time, which is is kind of cool. But we we bonded uh, pretty immediately over. I uh, was at the, the LinkedIn video, right, about the whole meet you and shake your hand without a mask that I put out a couple months I, ago. I would say we're pretty, pretty like-minded on that. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's what it's, I got it. If you want to talk about uh, if I ever had a controversial topic, but, you know, for those of the folks that are listening that don't know the video I'm referencing, it was just, hey, you know, if you want to meet with me in person, I'm going to meet with you. I, I won't be wearing a mask just so you know. Let's shake hands. Let's treat each other like human beings. And it, at the end of the video, it was like, well, if that's not okay with you, right, like, let's do a Zoom. It's still cool. And 99 out of 100 people were like, yeah, totally cool and get it. And had some people reach out and message me and say, that was great. Thanks for saying it. And then, then there's that one guy, which I don't, I'm not going to say his name, but that one guy that made it his cause of the day to attack me and you know, tag my, my company, try to get me fired, which was a really interesting thing. That's the first time I've ever had that. Uh, but you, you obviously connect and said, dude, that's awesome. Like, let's have a coffee. You sound like like-minded and let's sit down and get to know each other. So appreciate you reaching out and Definitely good to know you, man. I feel like we're becoming fast friends. Yeah, it was one of those things where as soon as we, 10 minutes after we sat down, I was like, yeah, I got a lot in common this, with this This guy, dude's so cool. Yeah, it's so. a, vice versa, right? It's likewise. It's like you, you just sit down with somebody and you're like, yeah, okay, like I can get along with this guy. And I think we had a coffee for like two hours, right? Something I think I had it on my schedule for like 45 minutes and looked down. We ended up having lunch, yeah. dinner, midnight yeah, snack. Yeah, I know, was, right? Yeah. Like, and then we hung out the next day. No, <laughs> but uh, anyways, good to see you, man. Thanks for, for coming on. I'm really excited, I think, to... Uh, highlight your story because I think you do have a unique uh, perspective in this world that you got into benefits a little bit late. You'd brought a different skill set to it. Obviously, some of your journey personally and, you know, with the family and moving and all these things, I think, are, are really fascinating. And I'd love to highlight the the human element uh, of this conversation as much as the, you know, the stop loss and self-funding. We'll spend some time on that. But uh, I want to hear your story. So before we get into the broker world, before we get into Hotchkiss and, you know, your journey into becoming an advisor, let's talk about Mike. I'd love to hear your personal story and your professional journey to get to this point. That's great. Thanks, Spencer. I think uh, the real important part starts at about 18 years old because that's when um, I found faith. That's when okay. I believe the Lord reached out and, and did a miracle in my life. I was facing a situation, uh, troubled teen, all that stuff, facing a situation that honestly would have affected me negatively to this day and just cried out to God, you know, at my lowest point, and miracle happened. And so at that moment, I was, I was in. I was like, all right, I'll follow you you know, the rest of my life. And, and I really have, but it was, it was March of my senior year. Okay. And a lot of people that have known me for the last 20 years since then, um, don't believe this because they see how driven I am and the passion I have and, and, and everything I applied, everything I do. Um, but I had at the time <laughs> out of a class of about 500, the highest SAT score in my class and a 0 0.9 GPA. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And now all of a sudden I found faith. I'm like, well, I should probably have a future now. Yeah. I wasn't really thinking about that. So I did everything I could to get the grades up and actually reached out to um, Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They made some noise in this year's mm -hmm. NCAA tournament. Yep. So go Golden Eagles. Respect there. 
And they not only agreed to accept me, but they actually gave me a scholarship contingent on me keeping a 3.5. Okay. So now I had the motivation added to the ability. Well, so even, so let me make sure I understand that. So great SAT scores, but the 0.9 GPA, they were willing to kind of take a flyer. This guy's obviously got something, but you know, maybe there's some fire that needs to be instilled in him or something to that effect. That's pretty cool, right? There's a little bit of a leap of faith on their part, even though it was tied to, you know, a minimum GPA. So, okay. So you go to Oral Roberts, you get that scholarship. You know, so what, what's going on there? What are you studying? So I got there. I did do a minor in business, but my major, it, it just, I knew as soon as I stepped foot on campus, had to be youth ministry. Okay. I wanted to be uh, the mentor to troubled teens who were like me. I wanted to actually reach out, like what, what would have benefited me, what could have helped me, what could have rescued me out of some of that stuff my teenage years. I wanted to be that. I wanted to be, and you'll see this thread through my life and my yeah. career. As my heart was awakened, it was like a passion to serve people to help people, specifically troubled teens at the beginning, and to be part of something bigger than myself. And so youth ministry was that. I was actually a minister primarily to teens uh, for about 15 years. Oh, no kidding, 15 years, okay. Yep. And this was in New England, so it was extremely rewarding, and the pay was terrible. So <laughs> yeah, Those are the best jobs, though, right? Yeah. I mean, so when I did get married, have a beautiful wife and four children now, nice. um, when I finally got married, I decided I probably had to get a, a day job on top of my ministry. Um, to you know, pay the bills, support the family. Sure. So I, I got a job with a global financial firm and instantly was just thrust into it, learning IRAs, stocks, mutual funds, all that stuff, and, and did pretty well there. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to learn mm -hmm. that industry, but the, part of, uh, the bad part about being part of a global financial institution is you're just a number. Sure. And so they laid off half my department. I remember looking around, it was like a ghost town, and then I, I got the second You're just wave. waiting on that yeah. like, notice <laughs> uh, yeah. for, for the hammer to fall. And so I looked around, and we had we had just had our third child at that point, and I had the opportunity to actually start a uh, or join a direct sales company. You've seen those people, you know, sure. blasting you on LinkedIn. I was in nutritional products, and actually went from nothing to a full time income in about a year. No kidding. And I learned something, Spencer. I learned that my desire to help people could actually translate into sales because I could listen. I had years and years of preaching and years of evangelizing. And that led to actually being able to listen to people and communicate clearly mm -hmm. a solution to their problems. Yeah. So I did that three, four years, and then that company got bought out. So at that point, I, I felt the Lord, second time I heard from the Lord in my life, pivot me to the business world. Okay. So out of formal ministry, out of a church office, and into, I actually took a job with a national retailer selling mattresses and did very well, very quickly. Got my own store within the first year. And actually, one of the years, I was number one in the entire Northeast. No kidding. Uh, about 2,000 salespeople. So they made me the regional sales coach. So again, I realized I get to help people. Like, I love actually listening to what's blocking you from achieving your dreams. Sure. Listening and then clearly providing a solution and then seeing, you know, the light bulb come on. That was that was incredibly rewarding. Well, that, and I remember you telling me when we were sitting down for coffee, that part of your story. Obviously, you, like you said, you were one of the top um, you know, folks in the entire company, right? And sales wise, but you know, it's something that, you know, there's an immediacy, right? You, you were describing to the sale, like at, we'll get into the broker world, right? Which of course the life cycle that sales sometimes a lot longer, but like you said, you, you, that person walks in the door, you have X amount of time in order to, to close a deal because chances are, if they leave uh, without a mattress, they're not coming back for a mattress, right? I mean, That's is that right. safe to say? Yeah, it's exactly right. So I did what, what kind of separated me. One of the reasons I did well was because everybody in that world, Spencer, is sitting around like, oh, I'm a closer, man. Watch me close this. Watch me close these people mm -hmm. that walk in. I'm like, it, it almost disgusted me a little bit. Like, A, you're not. Um, <laughs> and B, I, I kind of positioned myself as a consultant. Now, now, as you hinted at, the consultant prospect 
to client relationship. Took about 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Cause if I do a good job, your bed's going to last at least 10 years. So it's a real short relationship, but I position myself to listen to them, hear their needs, and then clearly communicate solutions. And actually, like I said, it ended up uh, being really successful for me. Well, that's fascinating that you position it like that. Cause you're, you're right. At the end of the day, you, and you're selling probably fairly high dollar mattresses as well. And not everybody probably can just cut a check or swipe a credit card for a couple thousand dollar mattress. And so you were, like you're saying, you're positioning, here's a solution, right? Let's, let's unpack your problems a little bit. Let me listen to your story. Let me understand you. And then here's how to position perhaps to frame the sale. And so I had somebody, I remember uh, uh, the other day comment on a YouTube video of mine about the pros and cons of sales. And one of the things they said was, hey, I just, I would never feel comfortable. I feel like I'm misleading somebody and trying to trick them into sell. And I'm like, I, I get why you have that perception that sales is trying to trick somebody into getting a sale so you get a commission. Maybe some people are like that. But even for something like that, which is the immediate sale of a pretty high dollar item that you're selling, there's a consultative side to that. You're listening to that person. Yes, they're going to sleep eight hours a day. You already know they need a great mattress. So it's now it's just trying to find their particular pain points, pain points, right? Maybe literal pain points in their back. Uh, but you can still consult in that way. You're not, you're not just like, oh, I'm just going to sell and dupe these people. You're like, I'm going to figure out why they need this and let me position the story around that, right? Well, that's exactly right. And, and for me personally, it was, it was a matter of, only selling stuff I believe in. Mm -hmm. So with the nutritional products and obviously with the gospel, uh, but again with mattresses, I saw the value of a good night's sleep. Like it literally can make a huge difference in your life. Literal pain points, like you say, yeah. whether it's back pain or whether it's not being able to breathe correctly, it affects you at your job. It affects how you relate to your family. I can actually have more energy to play with your kids. And that's what I focus on because yeah. I fully believed in it. I had no problem. Well, it's, it's, it's funny, too. You don't think about spending that type of money on something you sleep on. And then you realize when you wake up on a mattress that doesn't work, right, or yeah. that is not very you know conducive to the, your body type. And you're like, ah, maybe I should have spent a couple more hundred dollars, I guess, on, on a better mattress. Um, but so obviously that's not the stop of your journey. Of course, there was a big move um, after the mattress, uh, mattress firm or whatever a company it was. So tell me how that kind of ended, even though you were doing such a great job. And then what brought you down to Texas? Because I know that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So again, it's, it's, this is where kind of the supernatural plays in. And I would say to any of the viewers who maybe don't share, you know, my particular faith to look at it in the sense of, because I debated whether to share this piece, sure. um, look at it in the sense of believing in something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And like all these crazy entrepreneurial success stories we hear about, taken a huge step of faith absolutely you know like the indiana jones where he doesn't see you know it's it's pitch black yep, and he's yep. got to take that step and as soon as he does he's on that ramp and it leads to treasure like even if you don't have the faith piece that i do you can look at it in that way i would encourage the viewers to see it that way because it's 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 a supernatural thing sure that my wife and i we were thriving there was no like oh man we kind of hit a rut i kind of hit a ceiling here um it was we called a holy discontent where we knew that there was more for us mm -hmm. in the unknown. I was doing awesome at my job. Our, our friend group was awesome. Most of our family is, is up in New England. And we both, within the same couple month period of time, got a sense that God was calling us to Dallas-Fort Worth. There would really no history here, no friends here. Uh, but we, we prayed into it. We got some advice and felt like it, it was the thing to do. 
So the day we were going to do it, and, and again, both district managers with that mattress retailer were on board with it. Mm -hmm. my, my district manager was like, you know what, man, we hate to see it go, but we got to bless you. You know, we got to mm -hmm. release you. The guy in Texas was like, oh, my gosh, I got, I got, a, <laughs> yeah, go, I got a prime <laughs> store for you yeah. uh, for whatever reason, because of COVID, whatever, whatever it was at the time. What, um, when was this? Was this early 2020? Or? Yeah, it okay. was, yeah. And, and HR, HR said no. You can't transfer from that district to that district. Again, I don't know. I didn't get a full explanation. And I was a little salty for about a week. And mm -hmm. then I was like, you know what? It's a, The door's closed for a reason. And so... Uh, but that time you'd already obviously decided to move to Dallas. Fort that's Rose, right. right. Okay. Yeah, we were all, 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 the, all the horses were running in that direction. And so we, we tell people, we literally put Dallas <laughs> in the GPS, loaded our four kids in the back, and started driving. How long was that drive, by the way? That had to have been pretty... Uh we, we stopped twice along okay. the way. So it was, okay. it was three days, probably 26 hours total okay. with four young kids. Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, you know, during a declared pandemic, I'm <laughs> real real wise man over here. Um, it's a, it sounds like an adventure, though, man. I mean, that's what it's all about. It was an awesome adventure, and uh, we, we couldn't be more grateful. And what's happened since we've gotten here, Spencer, really confirmed that we were hearing correctly and, and made the right move. Well, I appreciate you sharing the, the story of faith, right? Whether or not it's you know, somebody, obviously, like you said, shares your, your personal faith or not, it's kind of ir irrespective of, of the point, right? You guys felt this particular call. You, you took a leap of faith. You jumped in a car with the family, even now without the job, and you said, "You know, we're still going to go for it." I mean, that's to me that that's almost like mind-blowing uh, commitment to that. And um, you know, so I, I do I agree with you, right? A lot of the the biggest things that happen in our lives are when it doesn't look like success is guaranteed. Even it looks like failure is almost certainly certain uh, as the being the the likely outcome. And so you guys came down here, you brought the whole family. Did you even know where you were living at that point? Did, you obviously didn't have the job lined up, but did you know where you were going to stay at least when you were coming down? We did not. Okay. We, we stayed in a hotel for a month. Okay. Um, a, part of the crazy supernatural element of it is that we did not tell anybody that I wasn't transferring. We did not tell anybody. We didn't have housing lined up. We just shared the vision with excitement, and people just started calling me out of the blue like, man, I woke up in the middle of the night last night, had a dream to wire you X amount of money. And I mean, over $20,000 came in that way Oh wow! from about eight or nine different people. Again, without us asking for a penny yeah. or even sharing that there was a need. Well, that's great, man. And I guess it just obviously makes the, the case, right, that you guys made the right move. Obviously, flash forward to now and things are going well. Um, so tell me about how you ended up. And I think we'll pull, obviously pull the conversation into, you know, the brokerage world, right? And, and obviously what we want to discuss on the podcast. How did you become a an insurance consultant of all things, because you didn't have any background in insurance prior, right? None. Okay. Yeah. So, so tell me how that happened. That that's man. That's this. You see the supernatural thread continue right before we left. There was a friend of a friend, never met the dude in real life. Okay. Lives in Boston, Massachusetts. Calls me on the phone. Has a network in Dallas. Said, "Hey, our mutual friend told me this was happening. I feel like it's God. You're you know you're hearing correctly." He goes, "And there's two people in the Metroplex you absolutely have to meet." gives me their phone numbers. They're both on board. Uh, call them up to this day. These two guys are two of my best friends down here. Awesome. Yeah. And one of them happens to be a PNC consultant for Hotchkiss. And so we're talking one day and out of the blue, he's just like, you know what? You'd be a really good fit here. I, I can see how your skills would transfer over, but much more than that, who you are as a person, because mm -hmm. you know, you can teach insurance. Risk management can be learned, but integrity can't really. Sure. And the personal values you have totally line up with what we do here at Hotchkiss. And so I applied, you know, had an interview on the PNC side. It went great. And they just, at that moment, they weren't hiring. And two weeks later, I got a call from the benefits side. 
And it was one of those things, Spencer, I'm, I'm sure you've had, or some of our viewers have had this, this interview where the interview starts, right? And you're like, man, if I take this job, what about this? And the person's like, well, if we bring you on, by the end of the call, it was like a two, turn into a two hour call. It's like, so when we move forward on yeah, this, yeah, you know, it it's just it's just understood yeah, yep. that there's just that, that synergy. And what really did it for me was, uh, they, they painted a picture for me to actually not just fix healthcare, not just save companies significant amounts of money, but be able to save working in middle-class people mm -hmm. and families life-changing amounts of money. Yeah, absolutely. The reason it resonated with me so much is because I could relate. I remember when that first baby was born in the hospital. I mean, I was working for this global financial firm, had my sweet PPO network. My deductible is probably $7,000. And yet somehow, after this first baby was born, healthy birth, normal birth, out of pocket for me, myself, and my family was $14,000. Yep. It's almost, I mean, it would be funny if it wasn't so painful that, that I remember looking at the line items. My wife had one dose of Advil given to her right after she gave birth to a baby, $200 line item yep. on, the, on the balance bill. And so, I mean, the, having the baby was like one of the best things that ever happened to us, but that cost affected our family negatively for over a year into the future. I mean, 14,000 is huge. It's a huge amount of money. What did it say? The average person has $500 or $1,000 yeah. or something to that effect. I mean, and it's not, it's, it's, you don't want to get into like, well, that's kind of depressing, but that goes to show the disparity in the available or pos possibly discretionary income in the event that something like a big claim, a catastrophic claim, or even something that's fairly routine, like obviously um, giving birth, that's still an expensive claim overall. And so if you have that $7,000 deductible or, you know, whatever the, the max uh, deductible is these days, I think it's a little higher than that. Um, that's huge, man. And a lot of people can't get out from under that. I think most of the, the bankru bankruptcies in the United States are associated with, you know, not being able to pay medical bills. It's insanity. So I can t totally see where the the calling element to that comes in. Is that Did that kind of come up in the conversation, though? Was that a lot of the reason why you were gravitating towards being a consultant? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's when they painted that picture for me that we could actually give a lifeline yeah. to families just like us, middle class, working class in those kind of situations, that it was an easy yes for me. That's awesome, man. So you're like, I'm going to be your producer, correct? Is that that's your role or are you kind of producer consultant? I say consultant. Consultant. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Like nobody really has the, there's not one set thing you can call a broker anymore. You're a producer, consultant, advisor, whatever. Um, but so anyway, so you're a consultant now, consultant with really no insurance experience uh, per se, right? You can sell, which is very obviously every, you've had a proven track record everywhere you go, you can sell, which at the end of the day, that's really all that matters in this industry. Um, you build relationships, but what about um, like learning insurance? I, I'd be curious as somebody that started later in life, was it a, a steep learning curve or did it, was it come fairly natural to you? No, that's a great question. And, and the funny thing is that I'm extremely grateful for is when I started with Hotchkiss, it was actually a period of like their fastest, biggest growth ever. Mm -hmm. So it was in many ways a baptism by fire. Like Hotchkiss does have a very robust training program um, that was supplemented with some great supplements. I had one day I was actually assigned to go in the conference room, pull up YouTube and watch the classic Hollywood smash hit self-funded with Spencer. Oh yeah, you know it, baby. Yep, Dr. Bricker's emails. I mean, there, there's some great yeah. supplements, but their, their hands-on program is extremely robust. I mean, I was truly had an accelerated learning curve very, very early into my, into my time there. You know, uh, mm -hmm. there's not really a school no, there's not. for this industry you yeah. can go to that will teach you well. So it was a matter of, of being in these meetings with C-level executives, like mapping out what their benefits were going to look like. It was a matter of me actually 
bringing a peace, sharing a peace during open enrollment very, very early on. So it was in many ways a baptism by fire mm -hmm. and hands-on training that I'm extremely grateful for to this day. Well, see, that's how, I, honestly, that's how I learned. I didn't really get into what you would truly consider benefits until I was about 30, 31, working for a brokerage. And I had the same thing. I was a, a senior benefit analyst, but quite frankly, I wasn't all that good with benefits. So I had to, I had to learn. It was a real crash course. They hired me because of my financial acumen. And so I had to crash course, literally just get super deep into all things self-funding, learn how reporting, learn how claims work. And it took me about three months, honestly, to feel comfortable with the terminology and the jargon associated with self-funding. But you can learn it, right? It's not like... it. I always say it's not rocket science, and it literally is not rocket science. You learn the language, that's literally half the battle, and then you kind of learn how the different parts interact over time. But I think it's great just as a sort of an illustrative story that you don't have to have a risk management degree. You don't have to have 10 years of, uh, of experience just to get a job as a consultant. As long as you have a passion for it, as long as you have a willingness to learn, as long as you can talk to people, build relationships, you're going to be successful in this world. I, I think that's pretty safe to say. Tell me, though, I want to hear more about Hotchkiss because I know of Hotchkiss. I know it has been traditionally more of a PNC-focused agency, which you just you suggested. Tell me what you guys are doing in the benefit space. I'd love to hear a little bit about your story of the company itself. No, that's great. Yeah, Hotchkiss is actually statewide. So we're in Dallas, also Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. We do business, help companies all over the state, and even nationwide. We have we have a size and a scope uh, that, that some might not have heard of, and we are actually fiercely independent. I love that. Yeah. We, How so? Like what makes you fiercely independent? So we've been in business 40 years and the founder was actually Doug Hotchkiss was actually a CPA by trade, but he had that independent entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. And so he looked at our industry, like I said, at the beginning on the PNC side and he saw the need and he saw the opportunity. So benefits kind of naturally grew out of that. Okay. And everyone, I mean, it's a cliche. You can look at any company, they'll be like, oh, we got national reach, but local touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay, buddy. I heard that a couple of <laughs> yeah. times, you know. Yeah, yeah. I get I get it, right? You want to be able to position yourself to have the resources of the big the big dogs, mm -hmm. right, that you're going up against. But there is something to be said. I mean, it's maybe a cliche, but there certainly is something to be said to have that local relationship to be able to call up somebody that you know, you know, or go sit down and have coffee or hash out something in a meeting. That, that, that does have some, obviously, power to it, even if you even if it sounds a little bit hackneyed. You well, know? that's exactly right. And we, we that national reach is we actually can leverage all the resources of the big boys, of the mm -hmm. big national players, whether you're talking about ERISA support, whether you're talking about attorneys on retainer, whether you're talking about around-the-clock HR support, mm -hmm. all these tools, we leverage that and we resource the same kind of scope on that because of the way we've been able to scale that. But that that fierce independence, that local touch, like you mentioned, I love that scene. I don't know if you remember from The Office where, where Jim and uh, Dwight are together on a pitch and the guy's like, yeah, you know what? We're going to go with the national guy. And, and Dwight has already like, he's on the phone like Pre three, yeah. seven, nine, and it's on hold the whole time. And then he's like, and here's Dunder Mifflin. Hey, this is, K oh, Jim, how are you? And yeah. he hangs, like, like, that's us. Like we can do that. We have a dedicated team you're not going to get your account manager reassigned. Yeah. Like you're going to call and it's going to be so-and-so, right? And and we're going to be there for you. Well, that's, I was going to say, I what I personally like about that is because there are tens of thousands of agencies in the country, right? And there's enough business to go around, presumably for everybody, especially the ones that still haven't been gobbled up by, by the, the big aggregators. Uh, but there is something to be said, right? At the end of the day, you're working with a consultant, you're working with an agent because of the advice they're giving, not because they can get you the best rates or we've access to these markets because that's a dime a dozen conversation. You're working with somebody because you like them 
at the end of the day. And I think there's a, you know, I used to, I did some on camera acting like, a, you know, years and years ago that kind of helped me with this stuff. And, um, you know, one of the things that I learned there was that it's the, the kiss principle, right? Keep it simple, stupid. And also there was another one that was kind of similar pills, positive, interesting, likable, and simple. When you talk about, oh, your favorite actor, you go, well, I like, you know, so-and-so, Matt Damon or whatever the case is. You don't go, well, I really appreciate their, their method act. You know, you go, no, I like them. At the end of the day, that's kind of what your job is as a consultant. You, obviously, you want to provide assurance to these people you know what you're talking about, but they're doing business with Mike. That's right. They like Mike, or they're doing business with Hotchkiss because they like the people that work for Hotchkiss, right? That's right. So we're able to basically give them the best of both worlds, you know, give them that localized decision-making. We actually form very close relationships with our clients, you know, as time goes on, and give them that touch. What what you asked about the fierce independence, mm -hmm. what really makes us different, if I could say one of our top two differentiating factors, is the pure transparency that we operate with. You know, pick your cliche. We pull back the curtain, yeah. we show how the sausage is Under the made. hood, yeah. whatever, yeah. <laughs> but we actually go through and not only show them what we're doing, but why we're doing it, including how we make money. And it's different than what a lot of them you know, have been shown in the past. Mm -hmm. We're not dependent on those things that typically cause the brokers to default to pitching fully insured. Yeah. When the premiums go up, the commissions go up, mm -hmm. right? Or being dependent on overrides or, or what have you. Sometimes there's even shadier stuff. But from day one, we show these clients, our goals are aligned with yours. We don't benefit when your premiums go up. Therefore, we want them to stay down mm -hmm. so you stay happy with us and we have these long-term relationships. We found, and I'm sure you've seen with like-minded consultants, that when we take care of our clients, the bottom line just takes care of itself. Absolutely, man. I, that's that's the funny thing is like there's this this fear of, um, you know, as a consultant opening up um, conversations around how you get paid or even how much you get paid. It's a, kind of that last bastion of, of, of a lack of transparency in this industry. You know, well, there's two, right? There's how, how the hospital systems and the charges and build versus paid charges and things like that. But on the consultant side, there is, well, how do you get paid? How much do you get paid? Some people would even be shocked that somebody, you know, an agent's getting a raise when the premiums go up. Like, that, talk about a misalignment of incentives right there. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that that's obviously the case. And, you know, I, I, what's who the, a couple other folks, there's uh, uh, John White over at Hotchkiss and what's uh, uh, Chris Hamilton. Chris Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton. yeah. Both independently great guys. I kind of know of them in passing and from other, uh, you know, positions they had in the past. But if that's any indication, right, you're obviously hiring some, some good people to help build that business. So how long has the the benefits practice been an area of focus for Hotchkiss? Yeah, so like I said, we've been around 40 years and historically benefits were underdeveloped. But, okay. but several years ago, they actually made it a strategic focus. They brought Chris on mm -hmm. as the benefits leader and he actually changed the direction, infused some vision, uh, really put us on the map, you know, to be able to carve out that kind of unique and desirable niche. Yeah. And that team culture, You may, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned Chris and John because like that's my team along with our amazing account managers. Um, this team culture, I mean, I've seen since I've been there, I've seen us take on some notable accounts in the Metroplex, mm -hmm. statewide as well, but but especially the ones in the Metroplex. Um, even some, Spencer, several that I can count, that we went head-to-head -head up yeah. against a national brand, and we won the account. And to me, that's that's everything. Well, that's proof, right? That's proof of concept, right? Like you're selling a different way. You're selling a different idea. And you are able to win against somebody that has infinite resources and money and a name that's backing them. And so really what you're doing at the end of the day, 
And I actually saw this when I, when I worked for Hayes Companies early on. They, their practice leader moved down from a different location to literally start the office. And he was able to find uh, one of the individual kind of to partner with them. And then they hired one or two more people. And they were literally doing the exact same thing. No brand recognition in the marketplace, but telling a different story. And flash forward 10 years, which sounds like, oh, that's a long amount of time. But they became the, the fastest growing and one of the biggest offices in the whole agency because of the message they were delivering in a marketplace that, that wasn't hearing, you know, so they were able to go up and pick off those, those uh, accounts, just like you just described, because the story was better, the solutions were better. And at the end of the day, the name on the consulting agency's building didn't really matter to the client, right? So, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox, oh, man, but I'd love, man. I'd love to stuff. hear it, you know, and yeah. nothing against the big guys, right? They're big for a reason sure. and they've been successful historically and they will still be successful, no doubt. Uh, but this, I think the point that I would emphasize is there is enough to go around. And then when you talk about going back to this notion of taking a leap of faith or somebody going off and building a business or building a practice, you can do it with a good message and a good story, and you'll end up, end up building a decent business off of that story. So I just love to hear it, man. What I do want to go back in time with slightly, though, because obviously you had so much success at selling the mattress, and I, I don't want to over, you know, over uh, emphasize this particular area of your career, but it's, it's fascinating to me going, this dude is a stud mattress seller, you know, to now I'm selling, um, consulting ideas and stories and benefits. So kind of, could you give me a couple differences uh, or pros and cons of each? I'd love to hear because those are two just wildly different things to sell. No, I actually love the comparison. And it's sometimes we joke around. It's like, all right, so, so ancillary is like selling the pillows and the sheets, you know, we're kind of, <laughs> kind of yucking it up in the office. Um, but I, I see a lot of actually skills that that carried over. Um, the fact that I took that consultative approach in what was very much a transactional environment has helped me as a true consultant here. And like I say, as a sales coach, I used to say the number one skill, I mean, you can debate that, but I think the number one skill is actually reading and discerning who's standing in front of you. And I'll give you an example, because um, people would ask, like, how can you make six figures selling rectangles, you know, <laughs> like, and, and, and it's funny when you think about it that way, but the reality is because everyone you'd go through, you, you demonstrate the mattress, you'd listen to their needs. Like we said, you, you'd, you'd answer questions and every single customer almost to a T would say the same thing at the end. I need to think about it. <laughs> now, if you're discerning who's standing in front of you, you're realizing that probably four out of five people don't really want to think about it. They just want to know they're getting a fair deal. Yeah. They love the product, right? They, they, if they trust you, um, they just want to know they're getting a good deal. So I would actually pursue that line of inquiry, like, like, okay, so, so, you know, what, what are you thinking about? And they'd say, and then I could overcome the objection. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the point where they realize, no, this is really the right play. But one out of five really does need to think about it. And if you pursue that line with them, you're going to get the walls. Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying I mastered it, but I, I got quite good at it with practice and experience. Well, you transfer that to here to this, this industry, it's not anymore. I need to think about it. It's well, fully insured is right for us. Or, or, or we, you know, we looked at self-funded. It's not right for us. Well, for one out of five, that might be true. Fully insured might actually be the right fit for them, mm -hmm. but four out of five, they're just saying it out of ignorance or because that's what they've been told. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a matter of discerning, like, is this the one out of five, right? Where they really should be fully insured? Or is this the one out of five that really needs to think about the mattress purchase? Or do I push harder? Are they actually part of the 80% that's just saying what they think they're supposed to say and not what's actually accurate? Well, yeah. And what's, yeah, that's one of those biggest misconceptions. And I always try to, um, you know, completely poke holes in that idea that I'm too small to be self-funded or, or self-funding's not for me. 
we should be fully insured. My advisor told me we need to stay fully insured because of whatever reason. Um, that's, you know, one of the, again, that might be true for one out of the five people, but four out of the five, that is absolutely not the case. And you just haven't put either enough thought or haven't been guided enough in that direction to understand why you shouldn't still be fully insured. Um, so, so dip, you know, kind of similar style objection, right? But knowing how to handle handle that objection or at least maybe un- understand which type of prospect you're talking to. But kind of, of course, the, the other glaring, I think, difference is the, that life cycle of that sale. So, you know, how many, how many steps, how many touches, you know, in, in the agency world does it take to get to somebody to, to be a client? You know, is there a, an average number or an average amount of time before that becomes the case? I mean, I, I don't know if I can pick an average. It'd probably be at least six months, which, okay. which is a huge change from 45 minutes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Look at the mattresses. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm going to be your consultant. You're going to go from being a prospect to being a client. Well, you knew if you were minutes. selling mattresses, you were selling them that day. That's right. right? It's transactional. Yeah. 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 So now you're going, all right, well, you know, there's initial calls. Like how many people do I need to touch base with before I even get a response? And then how many people will agree to a meeting? And then how many people after that will agree to a follow-up meeting or let us do an analysis? And, you know, that's one of the things I always say is I don't necessarily envy you guys uh, because that's a, you know, that's a long, hard road sometimes to, to traverse. Um, but I, I'm sure it's really rewarding as well because you're building a relationship over that time. You're understanding the person that you're sitting across from is, has a business they have to run and you get to learn about that business, get to understand their needs. And then you're presenting solutions that solve their specific problems. And I never want to de-emphasize how important that is that that person has a, has a business and has lives that are at stake, you know, livelihoods uh, that are at stake. And so it's not just that easy, like, Oh, I like this guy. Let me change my benefits to them. Now it's a much bigger uh, decision-making process for them. Exactly. And the biggest adjustment for me was kind of realizing like as part of that longer relationship building process, it's like, how can I add value every touch, right? Everyone's like, it's, there's a lot of noise out there. Everyone's like, oh, hey, just circling back on this. Or, hey, did you, get, did you see my email? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, can I send them a clip from this show? Can I send them an article? Can I send them some sort of thing that adds value mm-hmm. while keeping myself you know, front and center and, and, and kind of adding another layer to that relationship? Well, how's the virtual world, you know, obviously with LinkedIn and those other type of things, right? Obviously, when you're at a mattress firm, people walk into your door wanting to buy a mattress, right? Completely different uh, prospecting uh, process now. So do, are you using some of the mediums like LinkedIn or videos like you're suggesting? Are you finding that it's a little different than maybe the traditional way of smiling and dialing for prospects day in and day out? No, absolutely. I, I mean, if we tried what we did at mattress firm, you know, the wavy guy out front <laughs> yeah. and the inflatable gorilla, yeah. that doesn't really, no one's, no CEO is going to walk in and be like, hey, I saw the gorilla, man. Sell me some <laughs> But it's like the, the, the thing that I I landed on was what worked really well for me in the mattress world was I would actually verbalize what I sensed they were thinking in their head as an objection. Mm -hmm. So I actually sold beds at the state fair of Texas. Now that was the wild west. You're standing at the state fair? At the state fair, there was, there was a, a booth with 16 beds, people pitching purses over here, people pitching sunglasses over here, and we're like, go. And the cheapest one was like $6,000. Oh and these are people that came to the state for Texas by a $6 corny dog, you know? And you gotta convince them, right? There's value in this. Um, but I would say to them, I would say stuff like, hey, so Mr. Smith, right? After we went through the demo, after everything, we, we agree you love this mattress. We know Mrs. Smith loves the mattress because she's half asleep on it right now. I just just keep sleeping, Mrs. Smith, you know? <laughs> and Mr. Smith, you know, you know the price is fair. And you're a little sta- standoffish at first, brother, but uh, I think you trust me now, right, right, right? Uh, but one thing's running through your head. I didn't come to the state fair to buy a bed. Like, yeah, yeah, Mike, I am thinking that. Like, Mr. Smith, that's, that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. You know who else had that thought? The last 43 people that bought a mattress for me. Ah, 
puts them at ease. So when I call someone now and they say I'm happy with my current broker, they're not lying, mm -hmm. right? They're not like trying to throw me off. They really think they're happy with their current broker. And maybe one out of five of them actually is. Maybe they have a broker like a Chris Hamilton, you know, that, that that's actually giving them the best possible plan, best possible price, best possible customer service. But most of them, it's like helping them see there's really no downside. All I'm asking for is 30 minutes to show you some things I guarantee you haven't seen that might make you happier. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> I, man, kudos to you to be able to sell. Um, that's, I mean, got to be like the least right environment to sell a mattress. So, I mean, that's just impressive. And I think I even told you when we were having coffee, dude, I could tell that you know how to sell. Like at the end of the day, like it's a skill. And, you know, it's something that I had to learn late in life. And I, 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 there's no way in, we'll say no way in hell that I would be able to do that, a particular type of job. But I think what's cool about that is if somebody can sell, you know, they can figure out how to sell anything, regardless of that, the style of sale, whether it's a service or a product. And that to me, I've always gravitated and been envious of people that, that had that. I mean, is that something you felt was a natural inclination to you? Or do you think it is a learned uh, skill over time? I do think it was intrinsic. And I think it was, like I said, when I was preaching, it was like, kind of sell it sounds horrible but but in a different way you're communicating ideas right that you believe will benefit people um so it was always there dormant but it wasn't until i got into the sales world that i realized wow like i'm actually helping people solve problems it feels really good and then money comes in mm -hmm. that that's actually feels really good that, too. that you know that's just the added icing on the cake mm -hmm. right is you're solving problems but you're also getting paid to do mm -hmm. it which is pretty cool so let's let's f spend five minutes on self-funding just because why not it's self-funded with spencer and we might as well do it but was there uh, was it more difficult to understand that funding mechanism or that funding type when you dig you started to dig in and get an insurance was it like whoa what is this thing I always thought it was just you pay you know Blue Cross premium or did you find it, you found it very interesting I mean I'd love to just hear perspective on that yeah it's another reason why Hotchkiss was a good match because my intro to self funding started day one oh okay. yeah Hotchkiss in fact and I think this is still probably somewhat rare in the industry the first case I ever wrote was a partially self funded group. Not 10 minutes from here, down the North Dallas Tollway. You can see their building on the side. I um, love it. Every time I'm like, yeah, I'm proud of it, you know, because it was it was a partially self-funded case. It was the first one I ever wrote. Were they self-funded at the time? Or? No, oh, they were not. Great, awesome. Yeah, so it was like, um, because Hotchkiss believes in that, because you know this, being a self-funded expert, if, if they tell me, if, if a prospect tells me, well, my broker is, is doing everything they can to save me money, you can actually pull out the notepad that's pre-written and everything they're about to say next is on there. Mm -hmm. Well, they they raised the copay, you know, they kicked up the deductible. They narrowed our network and we're like, check, check, yeah, that, yep. we knew you were gonna say that. Um, now Hotchkiss can do fully insured, we can do it well, but, mm -hmm. but you know that's blocking tackling. Mm -hmm. uh, level funding can be a tool in our toolbox, but we're huge fans of self-funding. We're, we're fully committed to it. And we believe that when you look at what's being talked about out there still to this day, um, typically when people are pitching self-funding, it's either the carrier ASO model, you know, which is turnkey, not a lot of room mm -hmm. for customization, um, or they're kind of low-key selling against it, making it sound scary. We actually, I actually heard a prospect say word for word um, that their broker said to them, look at how expensive your one's going to be. Why would you want to pay more and take on all that risk? Mm -hmm. So I honestly think it's, it's a real blessing to me that I came on after you know, the ACA was fully, fully passed. I don't know the old world. Yeah. I didn't have that. Either. I didn't have five years of my, you know, my commission. So just push fully insured, push fully insured to unlearn. Yeah. I think it's great. I, 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 I'm with you right there. I think my self-funded foray was about 2014 or 15 when I started. And so yeah, ACA had already passed at that point. I didn't know anything different as well. 
But I, you know, I think you look at it, and one 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 party is like, man, I wish those other agents wouldn't be you know, spreading that misinformation or maybe misleading their clients. The other hand, you're going, well, that's an easy opportunity for us to win. You know, so maybe I'm glad that they're out there, um, you know, maybe uh, telling their clients something that isn't completely true or maybe isn't in necessarily correct for them. Um, so self-funding, you know, obviously yeah, appreciate you doing, listen to the self-funded uh, podcast and the stop loss videos and those sorts of things. Anything else like, you know, from your perspective on the self-funded world that you find interesting or, you know, I always like to communicate the folks that don't know it well, or maybe the younger folks out there that are trying to get into find a career. What is it that you like about it? I mean, is anything you know, yeah, interesting absolutely. to you? I'd love to hear that. Absolutely. For me, what really kind of, you know, revs my engine is when we look at the, the TPA carve out model, and the flexibility it gives us to customize and craft benefits for a group in a way that actually makes it more affordable and accessible, not only saving these groups money, but for employees and their families, like I mentioned, what resonated with me at the beginning, we get to see it play out. Yeah. So working with the captives, working with some other risk pools, you know, carving out pharmacy, there, there's so many tools we have, we can actually save significant money. And what really, you know, the second thing I talked to, I talk about one of two things that separates Hotchkiss and you know as well as I do, I can't go into depth, you know, mm-hmm. Gandalf, all right, keep your secrets. Um, but you know, because you're an expert, the three most expensive things they're looking at typically are the facility, the imaging, and the specialty meds. Now, we have a couple of uh, proprietary, you know, practices that we developed in-house at Hotchkiss because we were doing the cell phone stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and you talk about and to varying levels of success. But we actually developed these two models ourselves. And what we were able to see is that we're able to take, so we use the example of a hip replacement. For whatever reason, uh, several of the C-level executives we worked with in the last two years have had a lot of hip replacements. And how you look at the traditional PPO model, there's some good and bad in it, obviously. But if you go to get a hip replacement in DFW, uh, you might be paying $40,000, the plan might. You might be paying $60,000. Obviously, the employees got their $4,000 out of pocket, and the employer's looking at forty k to sixty k. Well, what if we came up with a way where the employee can actually get that procedure for free. Mm-hmm. In some cases, greatly reduced, but in, in many cases for free. I would say, I would have said four years ago, well, there must be some you know, devilish catch yeah. that you're not telling me. Uh, but you actually look at the company, at the, you know, the CFO and the CEO taking a look at it. If we can get that procedure through these proprietary things we've developed for 19 to $25,000 instead, well, then that's a no-brainer. They're banking $40,000 Delta, that's a 10X return. Mm-hmm. Employees paying nothing out of pocket and the hospital's happy because they want those patients. That's the coveted win, win, win. Yeah, to me, that's what has actually like resonated with me and gotten me really passionate about well, this. Well, it's funny too, right? You, you know, I think Dr. Bricker, when he was on here, talked about uh, boiling the ocean, right? Or you, you want to try to solve the entire problem holistically at once. But that's a, uh, a, an extremely good example of one singular problem that has a very big price tag associated with it. And you can solve that one problem. How many times does that one problem come up on each individual employer, or how many times will that come up more broadly in the in in this geographic location? So, how much money is being saved by just say, solving that one particular problem? You figure that one out. Now you can go replicate it and do it on the knee replacements, or you can do it on something else. And even if it's something like imaging, or even it's something like MRIs, right, where there might be a variance of five hundred to five thousand dollars depending on the the location every one of those is going to add up as well. And all of a sudden you get this snowball's effect of savings just because you were focusing on particular problems and solving those one at a time. I mean, that's, it's perfect example. Um, and I'm glad that's, that's the kind of stuff you guys are doing. I knew pretty, pretty quickly that when we were going to sit down that you guys were going to be doing some great stuff without having, you know, known much about the, the Hotchkiss story. 
What are you guys though seeing, you know, coming from a future perspective around, you know, COVID and, you know, the next 12 to 18 months of claims, what kind of messaging you have out there, you know, don't, again, don't give too much secret sauce away, but you know, what are you guys communicating to potential clients and prospects about how to manage the other side of this from a claims perspective? No, that's good. And like I said, we have several, um, several processes to help manage those claims costs. But I think the message we're putting out there is that it's very clear looking forward, future-minded, that this industry is never going to be the same. I mean, it, we can't continue to see health insurance and health care costs increase mm-hmm. year over year. Like you said, there is that piece of the not knowing what's going on with the hospitals, with the facilities, with the providers. W- what's the bill going to look like? Mm-hmm. You know, we use the analogy of buying a car, right? You go and buy a car and your consultant says you should buy this one or the salesperson says you should buy this one. So you get in the car and you drive home and three months later you get a bill it's $180,000. There's no way it would work that way. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is is bring more transparency. I know there was some stuff passed um, last fall, but we're trying to do it right now into breaking down like what these costs are going to look like, whether it's COVID related or not, just forward facing. What, what do these costs actually look like? What is the quality rating? And we're vetting it out mm-hmm. for our clients, both um, facilities and providers. And so when you look at this, there's got to be a breaking point with this year over year, sometimes double digit increase in cost. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd agree we're at that breaking point or even a little past it. You can, you've you been hearing that for years too. Like, it does <laughs> feel like we're always at the breaking point, but I think you know we're getting better about um, pointing the problem out and, and being vocal about the problem. And then, like you said, offering up specific solutions. Um, I was gonna try to say where we would go, go next with that, but I just think that like, from the perspective of of you as an agent, as somebody that's come into this business, you know, a little later on in your career, if there's anything you wanted to leave folks with, right? Like, what what is the message that Mike would give, or Mike as you know, Mike and as uh, you know, a representative of Hotchkiss, however you want to do it, you know, what is the thing that if anybody listened through this this last hour or so that you want to leave folks with about this? I think I think the answer would be twofold. First, from from the industry standpoint, where where Mike sits, where Hotchkiss sits, it's like you know there's only one or two solutions to this problem. And the first that you hear is, is government, right? You hear about single payer, Medicare for all. And I would say to everybody, whether you're on the left or on the right, doesn't matter. Take a look at our government and their track record and just ask yourself, is this really what we trust mm-hmm. to fix this problem efficiently or effectively? I'll just leave that one out there. Yeah. Or we're gonna see acceleration of what I'm doing every day, what Hotchkiss is doing, what like-minded consultants, not only in Texas, but all over the country are doing. And that's doing this at a grassroots level, helping these companies see, pull back that curtain and helping these companies see what's actually going on and embrace that, yeah, this is actually the way to go, not only to save costs for us as a company, which is great, but to make healthcare more accessible and to make those Mm life-changing cost savings for our employees. So you could say this, you can make it a tagline if you want, the future is self-funded. The, the statement we can always make, and it's been shared on your show before, the statement we can always make with integrity is on average, over time, self-funding is going to break the status quo of those double-digit increases. But what I love, if managed well, self-funding if done right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to throw that caveat, caveat, caveat yeah. yeah. If done right. Um, but I love that we have some companies we can look at that are in year three, year four, year five that have never seen any increases. And we can point similar companies that even companies of say between 150 and 200 employees and say, hey, this is exactly what we do on our own benefits at Hotchkiss. Mm-hmm. So I would say on that front, Spencer, the future is self-funded. 
Well, there is absolutely nothing that I'm going to be able to add to that. That was a perfect, that was, dude, you nailed it. I, you got me all riled up for a second. So Mike, a pleasure to see you again. Thanks for coming in, man. We'll do another, another maskless coffee here in a couple of weeks, but thanks for your time, dude. Really appreciate you sharing your story. I hope that story resonates with some folks. I hope it leads to some opportunities to you as well and uh, have a good 4th of July weekend, man. Thank you, sir. And if, if they want to find me on LinkedIn, make sure you got the accent. I'm going to be one of like two that come up. Mike yes. Masse. Masse. M-A-S-S-E with a, uh, like, how do I type that in? Is like, it a- so I just, I just honestly in word, I misspell fiance <laughs> and it pops up, but I think there's a way I know on your phone, you can just hover over the E and it gets ah, it. Okay. So, all right. So Mike Masse with his uh, awesome little, uh, what'd you call it? Exante uh, uh, <laughs> goo. Exante goo. Uh, so Mike, again, appreciate it, man. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks right? for having me on Spencer. My pleasure. 